Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. The letter to the Colossians. This is, uh, we're starting a new series today on the letter to the Colossians, and we're going to be traveling through it over the course of the summer. Um, This is one of Paul's letters written from prison, either in Rome or in Ephesus, Um, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited for this series. It's, uh, it's a powerful letter. If your Bible looks like mine, it's on page 1,831. It's uh, in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And as we prepare to hear God's word, let's come before him in a prayer for illumination. O Lord our God, forever faithful to your promises, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that in these words, you reveal to us the truth, the truth about who you are, and the truth about who we are as your people, chosen from the ends of the earth, marked by the blood of Christ as your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you that in these words you reveal to us a kingdom that is not of this world of which we have been made citizens. And you show us how to live as citizens of that kingdom. And so we pray, O Lord our God, that as we read your words this morning, you would send your Holy Spirit to us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, and to open our hearts to all that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. We pray that by your spirit you would transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ that we may live lives of gratitude and obedience to you in light of your word. Bless us, O Lord, we pray, in your name. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 14 this morning. Before I dive into this letter, I want to invite you to imagine with me for a moment a day in the ancient city of Colossae. The market square is bustling with merchants buying and selling the fine wool that put Colossae on the map. 
They tend shops set up between marble columns beneath carvings of the gods, blessing the land with prosperity and abundance. They ply their trade with copper and silver coins imprinted with the face of the emperor Claudius on one side and Pax Nemesis, the goddess of vengeance and retribution on the other side. On the hills around the city, thousands of slaves shepherd flocks of sheep and lambs whose wool will be harvested in the winter, in the spring, and spun into fine cloth to be sold across the Roman Empire. Tourists from across the region line up at the public baths to dip their bodies in the waters of the local spring, which according to local legend was made to, to spring up out of the ground by a heavenly angel whose waters could heal both body and soul. The wealth in this city is staggering. Citizens of Colossae walk around in fine clothes every day, followed by an entourage of slaves tending to their every need. And at the city gate, two men arrive, bearing two letters. One letter is for the church in Colossae, and a second shorter letter is to a man named Philemon who is one of the leaders in the Colossian church. One of the two men bearing these letters from the apostle is named Tychicus, a well-known disciple of Jesus and associate of the apostle Paul. Tychicus was a long-time follower of Jesus and had joined the apostle Paul occasionally on his missionary journeys. When Tychicus delivered this letter to the Colossians, he was probably a leader, perhaps a pastor of the church in Ephesus, which might have been the place where Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. The second man, though, was probably the talk of the town from the moment he walked through that gate because accompanying Tychicus was Onesimus, who was Philemon's runaway slave. Despite the tension caused by Onesimus's escape and unexpected return, despite the unanswered questions that it most definitely raised, Tychicus and Onesimus as Envoys of the honored and respected Apostle Paul are likewise treated with honor and respect by the Christians in Colossae. The two men are greeted by the elders of the church at the city gates and brought to one of their homes to spend the day. And in the evening, when the slaves have finished their work and come in from the fields, the church will gather for worship and for prayer to hear the words that the Apostle has written to them proclaimed. And so as the sun goes down and the laborers and merchants make their way to the households where they, where they will spend the night, the believers in Colossae gather together in a single home. One of the elders introduces Tychicus and Onesimus and welcomes them, offering a prayer of thanksgiving to God for their safe travels and for their presence with them today. They sing a hymn together 
And then Tychicus stands up, offers some words of greeting, says a prayer, asking God to bless their time together, and begins to read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have forgiveness, the redemption, in, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everyone knows that Paul writes this letter from prison. Paul is in prison awaiting trial for subverting the empire with his claims that Jesus is the Son of God and Lord of all the earth. And we don't see him backing down from those claims in any way here in the beginning of this letter. Jesus is referred to as Lord, as Son of God, and as King throughout the letter. And the people whom he has chosen, the body of believers who Jesus has gathered to himself, Paul addresses as the saints of God in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. In Colossae, in Christ. Right from the beginning, Paul sets up this tension. The Christians who are gathered to hear this letter are in Colossae. They are citizens of the Roman Empire. They are residents of the city of Colossae. They are in this world. But more than that, deeper than that, Paul might say truer than that, they are in Christ. 
They are citizens of the kingdom of God's Son. Residents of the kingdom of light. They are not of this world. And this is the tension that Paul will explore throughout the letter. Paul doesn't know the Colossians. He has never visited the city of Colossae. He has never preached the gospel there or worshipped in their assembly. He has only heard of their faith. Of their faith and love and hope in the spirit through Epaphras, a fellow missionary who is probably at this point serving as the pastor of the church in Colossae. Paul doesn't know the Colossians, but he knows that they believe the gospel. And he knows in a profoundly personal way that those who confess the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the face of the power of Rome face a great deal of pressure. Everywhere they are surrounded with the images and narrative of the great empire of Rome, ruled by Caesar, Lord of all the earth, the Son of God. His image is on their money, on their gates, on their temples, on their government buildings, on their market stalls. Temples to Caesar were set up alongside the temples of the traditional gods and goddesses of antiquity, and citizens were encouraged to make offerings to Caesar and to pray to Caesar so that Caesar might look upon them with favor and bring them prosperity and peace. Caesar was the one who kept the threat of barbarian invasion at bay. Caesar was the one who built roads to expand markets and trade across the known world. Caesar was the one who made the rain fall and the crops grow and the flowers bloom and the flocks multiply. Caesar is Lord. And all around, people saw signs that Caesar was the one responsible for their fruitfulness and peace. Even the city gates through which Tychius and Onesimus would have passed on their way into the city sent a clear message of Caesar's lordship and patronage. The image on the cover of our bulletin and on the screen is an image of the city gate at Jerash, a Roman-era town uh, just by the Sea of Galilee in modern-day Jordan. Uh, Pastor Amanda and myself got to visit there when we traveled to the Middle East two years ago. And as you approach the city, this gate towers over you. And around the entrance to the gate, you can see these insets, these crevices, these holes. And in these holes, there would have been statues of the gods, images of the gods. And on top of the gate would have been an image of Caesar, the, ro the, the royal, the imperial insignia, or a statue of Caesar him himself showing that Caesar was over all. And to enter the gates of this city, you had to make an offering. You had to offer something of what you had on you to the gods and to Caesar. And so people entering the city would put all sorts of things in these holes around the feet of these statues of the gods. And over the course of the day, these would have filled up to the point of spilling over onto the road. 
And so as you approached the city in the evening, you would see this great gate guarded by the gods with Caesar over all. And from the feet of the gods, you would have seen spilling out of the gate onto the road fruit and vegetables and bread and wine and silk and wool and silver and gold. A clear message that this city is fruitful because of the benevolent lordship of Caesar, the Lord the Son of God. But Paul, as we will see throughout this letter, unveils this imperial lie. Caesar promises fruitfulness and peace, but this so-called peace is built on military dominance. This so-called fruitfulness is built on an economy of slavery. The kingdom of Caesar promises fruitfulness and peace, but the fruitfulness and peace that Caesar offers is only for some. A military that crushes uprisings and an economy that enslaves troublemakers enforce the lie of fruitfulness and peace that Caesar offers the world. Paul's letter to the Colossians is a letter of persuasion. Paul is trying to persuade, to assure the Christians in Colossae that the promises of the kingdom of God are better than the promises of the kingdom of Rome. That the gospel offers a realer, truer alternative to the fruitfulness and peace of the empire. And this is supported by the evidence, Paul claims, here in the beginning of the letter. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And this very same gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the lives of the believers in Colossae. The promises of God, the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit brings, the power and might of the glory of the Lord are producing good fruit in their lives endurance and patience and joy and good works, the fruit of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of the true Son of God. The fruit of the empire is conquest and slavery, death. The fruit of the kingdom of God is humility and generosity and sacrifice. And the church this body of Christ in the world is called to model this truth. The brothers and sisters who God has adopted into his own family witness to the world that the alternative kingdom of humility, of generosity, of sacrifice bears truer fruit than the imperial kingdom of conquest and slavery and death. That the images of Caesar on the money and the gates and the markets and the temples of this world are symbols not of prosperity and peace, but of oppression and death to most people. That true healing comes through the waters of baptism, not through the waters of magical springs. That true nourishment 
comes through the broken bread and poured out wine of the Lord's table, not the festivals celebrating the deity of the emperor. Right off the bat, Paul's letter to the Colossians challenges our notion of what is true. The empire tells us one thing, with its logos and imagery and ceremony and spectacle, but what the empire tells us is a lie. And by his grace, the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see what is really true in this world and invites us to participate in a kingdom where slaves and foreigners become brothers and sisters, where all people, young and old, rich and poor, great and small, enjoy the fruitfulness and peace that is promised in the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, in this world where we are constantly surrounded by messages that demand our attention and try to tell us who we are. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, who shows us so clearly that the powers of this world seek to enslave and control us rather than set us free. And Lord, we pray that as we read this letter together over the course of this summer, that you would bless us by your spirit, that you would open our eyes to all that it is that you have called us to be and to do, and that you would strengthen us for the journey ahead, that we may bring glory and praise to your name. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, and our King. Amen. <clears throat>